I have, I have a concern before I begin the sermon today, and I think I want to express it just so that we will all have a sense of the challenge that lies before us. You know, uh, when people go to a church or hear a sermon looking for answers, it's easy to have a sort of predisposed notion of what you think you will hear that will help you. Sometimes, however, when we find true help in the Word of God, it runs counter to what we think. Or perhaps we toss it aside thinking that it's not as important as it truly is. A good Bible example of that is the story from the Old Testament of the Syrian captain named Naaman who had leprosy. And he went to the prophet having believed that the prophet would cure him or at least tell him how he could become cured of his leprosy. And you know the story how that the prophet said, go to the river Jordan and dip yourself seven times in the river Jordan. Well, the Jordan River was a filthy river, a dirty river. And Naaman, who had a disrespect of Jews anyway, thought to himself, I already have problems. I already need to be cleansed from leprosy. Why should I go dip in a dirty river? But in reality, that's where his cure was found in obeying the word of God, even though it didn't make sense to Naaman. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about how to begin sowing to the Spirit. My guess is, if we approach this from the human perspective, we will, we will hear some of the things that I'm going to preach about today and say, I don't know how that relates to my family. I don't know how that relates to my marriage. And we could walk away from this message and miss some of the key truth that really has the power to transform our lives. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you from the beginning of the sermon is that some of the things that I'm going to say to you today may not seem to make any sense. Or at least you may look at it and say, I don't know how that could be all that valuable to me. But I'd like to ask you to hear with spirit ears today. Hear with with the power of the Holy Spirit this message, because I am convinced that what we're going to talk about today has the power to revolutionize your life. I'd like to begin by reading scripture that is familiar to all of you. If I talk about being filled with the Spirit, I am really at ground zero in the Bible about the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's the simplest expression of the command to be filled with the Spirit in all the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our summer series is Spirit-Filled Family Living, and up to today... I have been introducing the principle. The principle is found in the book of Galatians chapter 5, where the Bible says that the one who sows to the Spirit will reap life, and the one who sows to the flesh will reap a harvest of death. Every Christian here is a dichotomy. You have two parts. You have a fleshly nature that you were born with, and you have the Holy Spirit of God who moved in to live in you when you were born again. By the way, If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you only have one part. You only have the flesh. That is why I could preach forever up here, and I could give you life-changing stuff, but it won't affect you at all. In fact, you could try even to implement it, 
but it won't work because the things of God are spiritually received. And if you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, you have no apparatus for receiving spiritual messages. I remember, and you're going to have to really be old to understand this. Some of you young people will not get this at all. But I can remember in the mid-70s when the CB craze hit, the Citizens Band Radio. Can any of you, there was more lunacy in the 70s, wasn't there? Everybody talks about the 60s being nutty, but boy, the 70s was really something. But how many of you remember how that everybody had a CB radio practically in their car? And there was all the language that you had to remember and the numbers that went with all the different expressions. And I mean, you could drive down the road and everybody had an antenna poking out of the, the trunk or the, the roof of their cars. I mean, it was crazy. And I have to tell you, and I don't know why, I decided I had to have one. And so I had, it was installed in my car. I had an antenna coming out of the rear deck of my 1977 Oldsmobile Cutlass. And man, I was in vogue. Drive to, I never said a word on that thing. It just sat there. <laughs> and it was mounted below the dash on the left side, right by the driver's door. And every time I got into the car, I banged my leg on the thing. <laughs> so I decided one day I was just going to take it out, take out the radio. And I did. I just pulled it out, put it in the trunk. But I still wanted to look cool, so I left the antenna there on my rear deck. And I remember where Alice and I were driving to Houston. And I was driving down the road, and a guy in an 18-wheeler came up beside me and waved at me. <laughs> Smiled, real friendly fella. Then he reached down and picked up his microphone, and he pointed. <laughs> he wanted to talk to me. We had a problem. I didn't have any apparatus for communication. That poor truck driver thought I was the most stuck-up guy in the world. Now, I want to tell you something. You can look the part of a Christian, and you can have your antenna on your rear deck and walk in here in your suit and tie and look good and thank God for how, that we look nice. You can carry your Bible. You can look the part of a Christian. But if you've never been born again, you don't have any apparatus for communication. And the Spirit of God can point to the microphone and say he wants to talk to you, but it won't make any difference. You can't hear. you got the antenna, but you don't have the radio. And so what I'm saying to you today is this. If you sow to the Spirit, those of you who are believers, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can reap a harvest of life. If you've never been born again, the first thing you need to do today is get out of your seat when the invitation is given. Make your way to the front and say, I want to become a child of God. I want to be saved. For you who are saved, you have a choice to make. You can either sow to your flesh, that means give in to your carnal natures, or you can sow to the Spirit, give in to the Holy Spirit. And up till now, I've been giving you examples, Bible examples of sowing to the Spirit. For three weeks, we looked at Joseph in the Bible. We looked at David as an example of someone who sowed to the flesh. But Messiah, this morning, I want to take the focus off Bible characters and I want to place it squarely on us, on you and me. And even more narrowly, I want to focus on those of you who have bought into the principle. You've been with me now for several weeks. You have said, I believe what the Word of God is teaching me about sowing to the Spirit. I believe that. I'm convinced it's right. I believe the Word of God, that it will transform my life. I believe it will transform my marriage. 
I believe it will transform my relationship with my children. I am going to talk to you this morning who have bought into the message. You are convinced that it works. The question that I want to ask today is how do we get started? If you know that your words and your actions are thoughts that are, are, and thoughts are seeds that you're going to drop into the soil of your life that are going to reap a harvest, how do you get started sowing good seed? What are the first seeds? What are the first seeds to drop in the soil of your life? Well, let me tell you two quick things before we get into it. Number one, before this service is over, you are going to have them. You will have those seeds in your bag. When you walk out those back doors, if you listen to the word of God, you will have the first seeds. You will have the seeds to immediately start dropping into the soil of your life from which you can expect to have a good harvest. And number two, I want you to understand that I have not whipped these points up. Uh, I, what you're going to hear today is not the uh, work of a creative or inventive preacher. What you're going to hear today are the very words of God. You say, why is that important? Well, from the very beginning, I've been sharing with you that I am convinced this is a new way of living for most of us. It involves a radical change of philosophy. It involves going against the conventional wisdom of our culture. And for me to stand up here and ask you to be willing to change your way of thinking and living, I know you love your pastor, but you need more than the words of Mark Hoover. You need the words, you need nothing less than the underpinnings of the complete and sure word of God. And accordingly today, I have not come up with these things on my own. I'm going to share with you the word of God. So what am I saying to you? I'm telling you, if you will apply your heart to what we're going to share in the next few moments, you will have the first seeds to plant. Number two, you will know that they have come from the word of God and not from some preacher. One more introductory note. As I shared with you last week, motives are vital. You must be motivated by the right forces in your life if you can expect a good harvest. So then, let us again talk about motives. Why should you sow to the Spirit? Your flesh tells you what to do. Your flesh cries out for you to do certain things. Why should you tell your flesh no and sow to the Spirit? What are the motivations for sowing to the Spirit? One more time, I want to remind us. Number one is to reap a grace harvest. To reap a grace harvest. Over and over, I've shared the scripture with you that tells us if we sow to the Spirit, we can expect a harvest of life. But if we sow to the flesh, we'll have a harvest of death. You know that if you sow to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, in other words, if you plant the right thoughts, the right actions, the right attitudes in the soil of your life, in the soil of your marriage, in the soil of your relationship with your children, if you plant the right spiritual things, the right spiritual seed, there will be a harvest of life. But beyond that, church, listen to me. It is a grace harvest, a grace harvest. I am so terrified that someone is going to hear this series and say, okay, pastor, I get the idea. The idea is if I do good things, God is going to pay me back. Folks, that is a million miles away from what this series is about. It is not about you doing something good and God paying you back. We're talking about a choice here. The choice is to live God's way. The choice is to listen to the Holy Spirit. The choice is to do what God's Spirit is telling us to do. When we do that, we put our future in God's hands. And God always deals with His children in grace. And grace 
is God giving us what we don't deserve. See, I'm not talking about doing what God wants you to do and God paying you back. I'm saying choosing to obey God and then opening the windows of heaven and letting God bring down a grace harvest on us. Oh, the prophet Isaiah talked about it in such wonderful terms. He said, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on that what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. That is God crying out saying, you don't have any money, but come anyway, come buy and eat. That's grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. So why should you sow to the Spirit? Because you want a grace harvest. And if you've been listening to me for the last eight weeks, you're familiar with what I just said. But this morning, I want to introduce to you a brand new incentive for sowing to the Spirit. If that's not enough, you know you know the infomercial, but wait, there's more. If that isn't enough, I want to give you a brand new incentive for sowing to the Spirit in your life. And that is, number two, to live in freedom. Now, just think with me for a moment. What is the attitude of our times? The attitude of our times is give in to your flesh, give in to your desires. If it feels good, do it. Sleep around, drink, get high, get drunk. Uh, just do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say. That's how empowered people are. And so what is the outcome of this kind of life? If you ask the average person in our culture. Well, the average person says, if I can say what I want to say, if I can do what I want to do, if I can drink what I want to drink, if I can be with anybody I want to be with, then I will live in freedom. That's freedom. That's the concept of freedom in our times. And if you look at the people in Hollywood, they have the money and they have the influence that most of them are able to live that kind of lifestyle, right? Do they live in freedom? Boys and girls, can you spell rehab? That's where most of them are. Or they spend years on some psychologist's couch trying to analyze, get analyzed. The truth of the matter is what Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Truth be told, beloved, if you do what you want to do, think what you want to think, act how you want to think, just do whatever comes into your mind, you won't live a life of freedom. You will live a life of bondage. But now listen to what the Bible says in Galatians 5, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now, I'm going to talk about us for a moment. We're going to get the focus off Hollywood. We're going to get the focus on Messiah Baptist Church for a moment. You know what a lot of Christians struggle with? They say, well, the Christian life is a bunch of do's and don'ts. The Christian life is a bunch of laws. And I've got to obey these laws. And if I get all these laws obeyed, then God will love me. And then uh, God will accept me. And, and, of course, who among us can obey all the laws? And so what do we think? We think God doesn't accept us and God doesn't love us. I don't mean that about all of us, but a lot of people think that way. But what does the Bible say? If you walk after the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not under the rules. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what, church? Liberty. Liberty. I'm going to give you some of the greatest truth I've ever preached in my life. The Spirit-filled life is not a life of laws. It is a life of listening. You remember Isaiah was saying, listen, you can have the grace harvest if you will listen. 
It's not about obeying the laws and keeping all the rules and maybe God will love you. It is a life of listening to God. I remember watching a movie some time ago based on a true story. A pilot of a small aircraft was disoriented and lost out over the ocean. Didn't even know where he was. Had no idea which direction was north, south, east, and west. And he was running out of fuel. Another aircraft spotted him. And the pilot began to radio instructions to him. Now, I've just summed up two hours of movie in about 45 seconds. But this pilot of this other aircraft, larger aircraft, was radioing instructions on him how to get back safely to land. Now, can you imagine this pilot in trouble hearing the instructions, this other, other pilot telling him what to do and where to fly his plane? Can you imagine that pilot saying, well, I don't want to listen to you. I'm not into rules. No. Because this other guy, this other pilot was telling him how to get where he needed to be. And that's the life that I'm preaching to you about. I'm not preaching to you about obeying a whole set of rules so that God will accept you. I'm preaching to you about listening to the Holy Spirit because he can tell you how to get where you need to be. That's what it's about. There's freedom in the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of obeying rules. It's a matter of listening to him. But within that freedom, we must be very careful. In Galatians 5, verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. God is saying it's true, you're living in freedom. But be very careful that in the freedom you live in, that you don't indulge the fleshly nature. So I hope those two incentives are are motive enough for you. uh, Those two motives are incentive enough for you to walk after the Spirit, and to sow to the Spirit. A harvest of grace and living in freedom. Okay then, what are the first seeds? What are the first seeds? I promised today that I would let the Bible tell us. So we're going to go to ground zero of Spirit filling in the Bible. If you want to know about Spirit filling, go to Ephesians 5 verse 18, our text. Because in very simple, concise terms, the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, church, if we will stay tight to this context, if we, in other words, if we'll stay right in the text, right around this command, we will see what the first seeds are to sowing to the Spirit. And uh, we're going to do that this morning. We're going to talk about the first seeds, and they'll all be in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be in 5, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. What's the first seed? Okay, time out. I know before I say this, Somebody's going to say, well, I knew it, Pastor. You hooked us in here on this, and boy, you're going to let us have it right now. But just hang with me for a moment, okay? The first seed is repentance. Repentance. That is the first seed, repentance. Somebody can say, oh, I knew you were going to hit me with do's and don'ts. The first seed is repentance. Now, I can hear, and once again, let me give you the text. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, God is saying, don't let this happen in your life, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, somebody could say, Pastor, are you telling me that the first seed I need to sow is to feel bad about my sin? That's part of it. But listen, please. Feeling bad about your sin is only the tiniest part of repentance. And there are a lot of people who do that. You know, Christians, oh, they feel very bad over their sin. They cry, and then tomorrow they're doing the same thing over again. Church, that's not repentance. Feeling sorry for your, for your sin is not tantamount to repentance. What is biblical repentance? 
Repentance means a change in our way of thinking. The Greek word for repentance is a hybrid of two, uh, actually two Greek words. Meta, which means change. We get our word metabolism from that prefix. Meta, and then noia, which means thinking. So therefore, when God tells us to repent, he is telling us to change our thinking. Drunkenness is mentioned here, but any you can factor in any fleshly appetite. God is telling us that we have to make a choice. Either we can go with the appetites of our flesh, or we can go with the appetites of of our spirit. We didn't take time to read it, but in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible tells us about the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. There's a choice there. And I want to take just a moment to let you see what the Bible talks about, the acts of the flesh. We're talking about repenting from those, changing our way of thinking about them, and then being filled with the spirit. What are the acts of the flesh? In verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Oh, I hear somebody say, Pastor, I'm going I'm to just kite through these. I don't have a problem with witchcraft, which, by the way, the root word of witchcraft there is our word for drug abuse. But look at what comes next. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, Orgies and the like, Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is God saying? God's saying, look, you can't operate in the flesh and follow the Holy Spirit at the same time. So then, if there are acts of the flesh in your life, here is the key. If you want to repent, identify the ways that you are giving in to your sinful nature and change the way you think about them. You know why we indulge our flesh? Because we think somehow it is good for us. Go back to the Garden of Eden. When Satan tempted Eve with the fruit, what does the Bible say? The Bible says the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit. And I think about all the things that sin brought into the world. How did the word good get in there? But when Eve saw the fruit, she thought, this is good for me. This will help me. And every time Mark Hoover gives in to his flesh... I may not verbalize it. I may not articulate it. I may not even let it go through my mind real clearly. But behind it all, I'm saying, this is somehow good for me. This is good for me. This will make me feel better. It will make me happy. It is what I ought to do. But see, here's the thing. If we are going to walk after the Spirit, there must be a change in our way of thinking. We must look at our lives and say, okay, in what ways are we behaving according to the flesh? And we've got to look at those and say, that's not good for me. It's not helping me. It's not helping my marriage. It's not helping my kids. It's not helping my parents. It's not helpful in any part of my life. So therefore, it has got to go. And I am preaching, I know who I'm preaching to, not only here today, but many of you listening by radio. I'm preaching to Christians, and many of you have cried and cried and cried over your sins. You have felt bad over them for years, but there has been no change in your life. I would rather see dry-eyed repentance if necessary. It would be a lot better for you to just clinically and smartly and wisely look at your life and say, you know, this stuff in my life is not helping me. These fits of rage, they're not helping me. This anger, it's not helping me. This envy, it's not helpful to me. This jealousy is not good for me. It's not good for my marriage. So therefore, out it goes. And I'm going to walk after the Spirit. 
That's the first seed right there. If you want to follow the Holy Spirit, if you want to sow to the Spirit, you must look at your life and say, what's going wrong? What's happening in the flesh? I want to get it out of my life. Then seed number two. Seed number two. Seed number two is praise. Look at verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 5. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Hey, church, do you know what the opposite of praise is? I hear somebody say, Pastor, I know the opposite of praise is complaining. No, complaining is the opposite of thanksgiving. We'll talk about that in a moment. The opposite of praise is self-focus and self-centeredness. Self-focus and self-centeredness. When we praise God, we get the focus off ourselves and our situation We put the focus on God, who he is, what he can do, what he wants to do in our life. And then, let me just say this, that that means that praise has absolutely nothing to do with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I hear people say, well, I can't praise the Lord, I've got so many problems. Listen, some of the greatest praising people I've ever met in my life had all kinds of problems. And some of the most uh, quiet people when it came to praise I've ever met had all kinds of good things happening in their lives. Everything depends on where our focus is. Spirit-filled people focus on God. No matter what they're going through, spirit-filled people focus on God. And here's the thing. When we focus on God, there has to be an outlet for our feelings. Listen, let me tell you. When you focus on who God is, what He wants to do, what He has promised you, when you focus on Him, there has to be an outlet for that emotion. And the outlet for that emotion is praise. Let us be honest. If we come in here on Sunday morning and our focus is on ourselves, our problems, if our focus is on what we want, there's not going to be any praise. Even in, even in a very uh, practical sense, if we come in here and, uh, you know, we think, well, do I like this song? Do I not like this song? Do I like this style of music? Do I not like this style of music? That's all about us. Or I got this problem at the office tomorrow. There's not going to be any praise. Praise is getting our focus on God so much so that there is an overflowing. Can I say that again? There's an overflowing. See, we focus on who he is. You cannot pin, you, you cannot pin that kind of thing up in your spirit. When you are so full thinking about who God is and what he wants to do in your life, there is a natural outflowing. Somebody can say, Pastor, that's never happened to me. It's probably because you've never really focused on God. So how does this praise come about? There are several forms. Number one, there are psalms. The word psalm literally means a striking with the fingers. It has to do with playing a stringed instrument. It was a sacred ode accompanied by the voice or harp or other instrument. And of course, by the time the New Testament was written, there was a book of psalms. And we have that book in our Bibles. By the way, I'm just going to press on this a little bit. Every once in a while I hear somebody say, well, I don't like praise courses. You know, most of them are psalms. Take that up with the Holy Spirit. Then after psalms are hymns. What are hymns? The word hymn means to celebrate. That's what the root means. And by the way, don't we have a lot to celebrate? I mean, think about this. When, we, when you come in to sing, all hell, the power of Jesus' name, we are celebrating. 
And that's where we should fall under a little bit of conviction. Because, you know, the, uh, the sports crowd, the NFL started last night with the, with the first preseason game. And I thought, you know, even in a preseason game that doesn't mean a thing, those people are hooting and hollering and everything. And yet we come into the Lord's house and we just kind of sit on it, you know. Why? We have something to celebrate. I'll tell you this. You get filled with the Spirit and you won't have any problems celebrating. I mean, that's the, this is a natural transition. Amen? This is Spirit-filled living. It's not old, dead, dry religion. It's Spirit-filled living. What happens? Well, there's going to be repentance. You're going to look and say, hey, I can't have those dead works of the flesh in my life anymore. And then you get focused on God. And the natural expression of that is praise. Then not only do we have psalms and hymns, but spiritual songs. What are spiritual songs? Literally, spiritual songs are songs of the Spirit. And what I'm about to say to you right now is experiential on my part. And I always try to preface these kinds of comments by saying you can take this or leave this. This is not the Word of God. This is just my own personal experience. There really isn't a whole lot in the text to define what is a song of the Spirit here. But I have to tell you, I love godly music. I love all godly music. It follows the word of God. But there are certain songs that when I hear them, the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart. The Spirit may bring conviction. He may bring joy. He may bring excitement. He may bring a new vision. But I know what it's like to hear a song, to be at church, to sing a song of worship. And the Holy Spirit just begins to write on the scroll of my heart, in my heart, in my thinking. And you can take this or leave this. But in my thinking, that is what is a spiritual song. Based on the word of God, sung in power, a spiritual song. Now, beloved, don't, don't gloss this over. Don't be like Naaman. You could say, how, do, how does praise affect my family? I want to tell you something. Praise is a first seed. If you have problems in your marriage today, if you're having a bad harvest, start praising God. Get the focus off yourself. Even get the focus off your marriage and start focusing on God and who he is. And every time you praise the Lord, you are dropping a seed in the ground. And from that seed, there will be a grace harvest and your freedom will increase. Seed number three, thanksgiving. We've looked at Ephesians 5, 18, 5, 19. Now chapter 5, verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about complaining. The opposite of thanksgiving is complaining. It just goes with what, we have, what we've just learned. When our focus is on ourselves and our situation, it is natural to complain. How many of you have lived long enough to discover that if you focus on your situation, there will always be something to complain about? Amen? There is always something you can complain about. And there are some people who do nothing but complain. If you want to, you can always complain. But Thanksgiving puts a focus on God. And even if you're having a bad situation in your life or your family, you can say, I may be having trouble right now, but God has been good to me in the past. There's a great aspect of Thanksgiving that focuses on God's goodness in the past and supposes that God will be good in the future. By the way, how many times have you thanked God for your future? Not just the things in the past, but how many times have you thanked God for the future? Somebody could say, Pastor Hoover, I read that verse with you a moment ago and the Bible said giving thanks for all things. Pastor, how can I be thankful for all things? Because your focus is on God. And the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those 
who love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. We can be thankful for all things because God is working all things for good. We don't know how we can see good in a situation sometimes, but God can make it good. And finally this morning, I want to just introduce you to this final first C because we're going to pick up right where we left off next Sunday morning. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you know why a lot of people go to marriage seminars? you know why a lot of people would attend a service like this when the pastor's preaching on family life? A lot of people attend it because they want to know how to get their needs met. Their needs are not being met. Wife's not meeting their needs. Husband's not meeting their needs. Kids not meeting their needs. Parents not meeting their needs. And so they go to a, a seminar like this or a service like this. And they're saying, how can I get my needs met? Friend, I want to tell you something. If you want to have a grace harvest, if you want to live in freedom, all you have to do is begin to meet other people's needs. Man, these these seeds are powerful. Repentance, praise, thanksgiving. But I want to tell you something. If you want to revolutionize your marriage, just become a servant. You know, when when Jesus was about to be arrested, the disciples were back there fussing with each other. What were they fussing over? Who was going to be the greatest? Who was the top dog? And why do you want to be the top dog? You want to be the top dog because you can tell other people what to do. Get your needs met. And that's what they were fussing over. Which one was the greatest? And when they sat down for supper that night, there was one man who got a basin of water and a towel and he began to wash the feet, the lowest job of the lowest servant in the house. He said, do you know what I've done to you? He said, you ought to wash one another's feet. See, that's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh says, how can I be the big cheese here? How can I be the big shot? How can I get my needs met? That's where the average Christian is living. I mean, God didn't intend for us to live that way, but that's where most of us are living. How can I get my needs met? I'm not getting my needs met. I'm unhappy. I'm frustrated. By George, if I'm frustrated wife, I'm going to let you know, conflict. But when we walk in the spirit, it's not about my needs being met. It's about me being a need meter. I want to, I've got to close now. I'm going to pick this up next Sunday morning, but in, Galatians 5, verse 13. There, actually, there are two texts I want to read to you out of Galatians 5. They're so important. Paul writes, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 25. I love this verse so much. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. I've given you the first seeds today. If you want to begin planting for a grace harvest, you have to drop the seed of repentance in the ground. That means right now, wherever you are, and by the way, that means every one of us, because we all live in a fleshly nature. I heard a guy who said he lived above sin one time. I think the only way to do that is to get an apartment above a beer joint. That's the only way you can do that. (laughs) Where am I going wrong? 
What's wrong in my life? Where's the flesh dictating? How am I giving in to the flesh? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it self-centeredness? Is it self-absorption? Where am I giving in to the flesh? That's not good for me. That's hurting me. Out it goes. Let go of it. I want to walk in the Spirit. I can't walk in the Spirit and think that way. I can't walk in the Spirit. See these kind of images on my computer screen. I'm going to have to let it go. I'm repenting. Change of thinking. Used to be good for me. It's not good for me anymore. I don't like it anymore. Out it goes. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Every one of us need to experience that right now. Repentance. And then after that, get your mind on God. Praise. How wonderful God is. Hey, this world is not everything. The best is yet to come. God is wonderful. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. Focus on who God God is. Let the praise come out. Let it be real. Let it be more than just being in a service here and singing because it's time to sing. And let it be more than Sunday morning. Let praise be part of your life every day. Sow that seed in the ground. Listen, drop that seed of repentance in the ground. There's going to be a harvest. Praise God. There's going to be a harvest for the praise. Instead of fussing and fighting, uh, be thankful. I was telling the early service this morning, I had an experience this week. It seems like ever since I've been in this series, Satan has done everything he can to aggravate me. I told Mary Alice last week, in a mo- I was being humorous, but I said, you know, if I had to do over again, I'm not sure I'd preach this series. Because, I mean, Satan has just agitated me ever since I've been into it. And I had a time of aggravation this week, and I mean, for a few moments, I was really in the flesh. Can you believe your pastor would be in the flesh? I don't know what you're wearing, but I have flesh. And for a few moments, I gave into the flesh. You know, I felt as miserable as I could possibly be. Just reflexively, I began to thank God. You know, after a few moments of thanking God, I couldn't even remember what I was upset about. That's a seed. See, that's a seed. That's what I want to give you. It's more than just saying, be thankful because you're supposed to be thankful. I'm telling you, be thankful because that's a seed. And if you are thankful, there'll be a harvest of grace and you'll live in freedom. And then walk out of here this morning and keep in your mind as if it were tattooed on your forehead. How can I be a servant? How can I serve? What can I do for you? What can I do for you, husband? You say, Pastor, you don't know my husband. I know your God. You say, Preacher, you don't know my wife. My wife, she just, I mean, listen, I know your God. And he says, if you'll be a need meter and if you'll be a servant, you'll get a harvest from that. Will you trust God? You say, well, I don't know if my husband's ever going to change. Listen, I don't know whether he's going to change or not either, but I know God has made you a promise. Go out and drop the seed in the ground. And believe God for a harvest. Well, I'll pick this up next Sunday morning. Let's stand together.